0: 31st we will be out of the EU free to chart our own course as a sovereign nation taking back control of our money our laws our borders and
1: our trade
2: we are ready to move to the next phase in our relationship we want our future relationship to be as close as possible in full respect of our principles we
3: don't yet know what sort of a Brexit we'll get we don't yet know whether it's going to be a roaring success or a horrible failure and five years down the line when we next have a general election those issues are then possibly going to come back
0: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek.
2: And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Let's talk about Brexit because the European Parliament is set to approve the terms of the UK's departure from the EU in an historic vote today. 751 representatives will debate the Brexit withdrawal agreement in Brussels before, though, giving their backing to the treaty as expected, rubber stamping it. It will mark the final, yes, final stage of the ratification (laughs) process ahead of the UK's exit, of course, 11pm on Friday night. Yeah,
0: so a day of mixed emotions. I've seen some very sad MEPs and a very jolly looking Nigel from all packing up their stuff (laughs) over in Brussels. But it's very interesting to see how this has affected another part of the Brexit landscape. I'm talking about Wales, where there's been a very dramatic effect from the election. Uh, You had Plaid Cymru, who's led by Adam Price, uh, opping the UK's departure from the EU, and then completely reprioritising in the wake of the election result, we've had that news over the course of this week. They're now focusing on new freedoms, flexibilities, try to seize the benefits for Wales as a result of Brexit. So let's dig into this because it's really interesting. It's really new. I'm pleased to say joining us now is Ben Lake, who is the Plaid Cymru MP for Kerry Ben, thanks very much for being with us.
3: Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, so Ben, quite a change of policy. Would you agree that this is a U-turn in as, in as many senses?
3: Uh, no, I wouldn't, really. and uh, I'm sure you would not surprised to hear me say that, no. Um, the fact of the matter is, whether we like it or not, um, and my party, including you know, myself campaign quite heavily uh, for the case to remain uh, in the European Union, we will be now leaving the European Union on Friday. Um, and so, as a party, we think this is, it's our responsibility, indeed, our duty, uh, to try and make the case now for, um, well making the best out of a bad situation when it comes to Brexit. And um, as Adam Price um, highlighted in a speech a a few days ago, um, we have to now kind of look at some of those... uh opportunities um, that can help us mitigate some of the damage that we think actually will do to Wales
2: okay uh, well some may call it pragmatic others might call it uh yeah quite a wrenching uh, reversal of uh, the type of policies that you were talking about just a few weeks ago but okay what about the issue then Ben of independence for Wales is that still a banner issue for you and for Plied Cummie or has there been a change there too?
3: No, I mean, it's it's part of our constitution and it has been now for the first part of a century. And um, unless uh, there'll be something quite remarkable happening in this year's annual conference, it'll still be there. Um, I think it's one of the first paragraphs of the party's constitution. It's very much at the heart of um, of all that we do.
0: And what about rejoining the European Union if Wales were to be independent? Are you now ruling that out as well?
3: No, no, no. Again, you know, uh, and and as I say, unless there's something... um, Quite uh, remarkable happened in this year's annual uh, conference, and I'm afraid to say that they seldom do. Um, you know, the the aspiration that the party has is an independent Wales in Europe, um, and that's written into the party's constitution. And so, as far as I'm concerned. That remains the case. Um, of course, there's a, a more immediate uh, challenge now before us, and that is to do with the negotiations that the UK government will be undertaking with the European Union um, to formulate some sort of a future relationship. And a lot of those details, you know, whether it's trade, whether it's um, uh, regulatory alignment or not, um, these can have quite significant impact on, on people in Wales and um, some of the employers. And so you know, we have to now try and concentrate our efforts in the immediate term uh, to try, as we would say, to mitigate some of these, um, well, some of the potential... Right.
0: So you would look to potentially uh, get all of these benefits that have been talked about. It's devolution, it's VAT, it's that sort of autonomy from Brexit. But then, if Wales became independent, you potentially look to join the EU again.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's that's been the party's position, um, well, certainly since 1925 or 1926. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's one of those things at the moment... You know, what is the pressing matter uh, before us? And that is uh, the nature of the UK's relationship with the European Union. You know, it would be remiss of us, indeed, oh, responsible of us as a party that wishes to, to champion Wales's interests, to just ignore that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we made the case of, of uh, tried, and we failed. You know, we have to be honest with that. We failed to convince people um, that actually it was best to stay in the U- European Union. We failed. We now have to find when the case... Um, you know, a close relationship uh, when it comes to trade, when it comes to regulatory alignment is um is preferable um in this next stage. Now again, you know, it's up to us as a challenge to try and convince people. We may not succeed. Um less, okay. but you know we have to try.
2: Okay, so then um your party leaders talked about new freedoms and flexibilities for Wales as a result of Brexit. But in terms of actually getting the the benefits of Brexit, that might be quite tricky. How much leverage does Wales have? Uh you know, just looking at in terms of GDP, Wales ranks, according to most, sort of 10th out of about a dozen UK regions.
3: Mm. Yeah, know, I think you've um, hit the nail on the head there. But the sad fact of the matter is that when it comes to inter-UK, um, or intra-UK uh, negotiations, um, we don't have a very strong hand. Let's not beat it on the bush. Um, you know, We are economically bumping along the bottom of the league tables. So I think that's a line that my leader uses um, with, uh, with depressing regularity. But uh, at the end of the day are a party that tries to champion Wales' interests, and we have to try to fight the fight, even if, you know, it's a, a forlorn hope.
0: I do not regret doing this sooner, given that you ended up with the same amount of MPs before the election as you did after, and we saw the Conservatives do so well, and we know from the 2016 referendum that Wales, on the whole, does support Brexit.
3: I No, I don't. Um, you know, politically, I think there is an argument to, that perhaps it would have been better for us to kind of shamelessly just pull our lot in and abandon Um, you know, the the fight, as it were, to try and convince people that staying in the EU was a a good idea. Um, I have no doubt that if we had done that, perhaps, yeah, the results might have been a little bit different for us. But we had to try and make that case and and to stand by the principles. And at the moment, you know, what we're doing is we're just accepting reality now. At least Mm -hmm. before the election, there was still that hope, (laughs) however um, minute it was, that we could try and get either... Um, a closer kind of um, withdrawal agreement, you know, continued membership of the single market or the customs union, or indeed a um, second referendum. You know, those were, although, you know, it, it caused a lot of division and, and heated a bit, there was still that possibility. Um, mm. Now, of course, there isn't. There simply isn't. And as much as as I regret saying that, um, we have to now try and recalibrate our strategy and and to try and get the best out of uh, of the situation, um, okay. so I don't think it was a. I mean, put it this way: I think we were right to, to stand by our principles. Um, in the same way that I think now that the battle has been lost, um, I can understand and agree that we need to to try and. Um, Look again at our tactics to see how much we can actually get out of the situation for Wales. Uh,
2: okay, is indie Wales, as it's you know often been dubbed, is that not also somewhat of a lost cause, a minority uh, uh, issue when it comes to support from uh, from people in Wales?
3: I think it's not a lost cause. Um, no, if, if you're asking me, do you think it's a long-term aspiration? Um, then yes. If you're asking me, do I think it's going to happen next year? Then no. Um, at the end of the day...
2: But only a quarter of the population, you know, by, by many kind of polls sure. recently or even less, actually support the idea of independence.
3: Yeah, no, no, of course. But of course, if we look back to 2013, uh, no, indeed, 2012, you in the support for Brexit was, you know, minute. And then <laughs> eight years down the line, and we're leaving, you know. So um, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, the fact of the matter is, yes, at the moment it's more support. It's more support. It compares quite favourably um, to where the, the well, where Scotland was um, a year or two before their referendum. You know, it compares very favourably to, as I mentioned earlier, to the levels of support for Brexit prior to the 2013 European elections. And obviously, uh, UKIP then made a, a breakthrough, and that changed everything. And I suppose um, similar phenomena can can happen anywhere. That's one of the things about. After the last four years of politics, whether in the UK or elsewhere, we would never say never.
0: <laughs> uh, and Ben, I've got to ask you about the big story dominating uh, the national uh, picture. It's Huawei and the uh, allowance, really, of uh, the companies to take part in the building of our 5G network. Where do you stand on that issue?
3: We, we have some um, serious concerns from a security point of view. Um, I know a lot of them have been aired in the, in the chamber uh, and, sorry, the House of Commons Chamber yesterday, um, from all parties, actually. And that's mainly to do with the distinction between the periphery and the core elements of the network. Now, I, I appreciate what the, um, the government's position is that, you know, they will be excluded from the, the core critical elements um, and there'll be a cap on the periphery. But as, as my colleague Jonathan Edwards questioned yesterday, you know, how confident are we that we're able to, to continue? Um,
2: so would you have banned Huawei from building out the 5G network at all here?
3: I think I would have, yes, yes. Um, you know, there's, the party has to, uh, still to take a, a full uh, view on this because there are a few um, reports now and, and uh, the government will be releasing I understand a little bit more information about uh, their point of view and their, their take on it. But from what I've seen so far, I think um,
4: they're on the side of caution. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you.
0: Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics.
2: Well, look, I want to pick you up on the story around Huawei, uh, because the UK's decision to allow uh, the Chinese firm to be involved in the building of uh, 5G telecoms networks won't affect transatlantic intelligence sharing. That's according to the Digital Secretary, Nikki Morgan. Uh, She was speaking to Bloomberg Television. She's uh, had assurances before the decision uh, was made to include Huawei, uh, which uh, the US deems a high-risk vendor. Have a listen. Yes, we already had a lot of advice from our uh, various security agencies about that. There is no reason why the decision taken uh, should, uh, would affect our ability to share classified data with the US or with our other allies. And of course, Huawei have been involved in our 4G networks in the UK. They've been operating in the UK for well over a decade. And as a result, we've developed these oversight
0: mechanisms. So we know more about Huawei, the way they operate um, their capabilities than any
1: other country, which is why we are confident we can mitigate the risks.
0: That was uh, Nicky Morgan, now Baroness Morgan, of course, speaking to Bloomberg earlier on today. Here's another story that's been rumbling on for a while. The train company Northern could be stripped of its franchise today. That follows years of concerns about punctuality and reliability. It's something I think we can all relate to if we ever stepped on a train in this country. The transport secretary is expected to decide whether the government should take over the running Of its services. New timetables came in back in May of 2018, saw hundreds of trains a day cancelled. We heard from Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester. He says change is needed.
4: We cannot carry on like we are. So I'm hoping that today is the dawn of a new era on the railways in the north of England. I do hope the government is going to put this railway under public control so we can bring some accountability at least to this failing uh, railway.
2: So that on Northern Rail. Uh, meanwhile, this of interest, fishing. The government plans to reclaim control over British fishing waters with a law allowing the UK to decide who can fish in its waters and on what terms. The legislation published today will end current automatic rights for European Union vessels to fish in British waters. That's according to the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. The UK, of course, will leave the EU's common fisheries policy at the end of December after an 11-month post-Brexit period has ended. Look, fishing makes up a tiny, absolutely tiny, uh, smaller than 1% Mm. proportion of GDP. And yet it is hugely important, not because it's massively important to us, but because it's important uh, to many of our European neighbours, their coastal uh, towns and coastal economies. So look, a lot of people saying this is going to be one of the big uh, flashpoints when it comes to the trade deal uh, between the UK and the EU, you know, fishing for finance.
0: Yeah. And Britain has very much made its position clear here, hasn't it? We're going to take back control of our waters. That emotional rhetoric once again that's quite hard to row back from here's a story from you for you i saw reported by the german news agency dpa in the north of germany there is a small village of 160 people called brunsmark their mayor for the last 12 years has been a scottish man by the name of ian McNabb. but now after brexit after 11 p.m our time 12 p.m their time on friday he can no longer be the mayor of this town because you have to be a European citizen in the EU to be able to hold political office. So he says he greatly regrets that he has to leave the role. He says he wants to stay in the village. He's lived there for almost 30 years. And he runs a small IT firm.
2: Oh, it's a human interest story, Ted, that get you every time, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) Right. Let's uh, move on uh, from uh, all the uh, the small news in terms of politics and talk to our guest um, this hour. So, Roger Aaron Scully is professor of politics and international relations at Cardiff University. Well, welcome to the programme. Thank you for joining us, Roger. Um, I hope that perhaps you heard some of our conversation with Ben Lake of Plaid Cymru, um, because I'd like to continue a bit of that conversation about Wales. What do you make of uh, indie Wales? Is there really a desire for it? in uh, Wales, uh, the MP, uh, Mr Lake, was saying, uh, yes, there may be little sort of support now, but you know, look at where Brexit started.
1: Uh, well, he, he's quite right about that. I mean, support for the UK leaving the European Union was very much a minority interest five years ago. Uh, and I think we saw developments in Scotland when they had their independence referendum a few years ago, where support for independence substantially increased once the campaign got underway. It is true to say, though, that the conversation in Wales is in a very different place from where it is in Scotland. So, you know, the most recent polling suggests, depending how you ask the question, support for Welsh independence is ranges between about 12 and about 20% or so. Um, it, it, there's certainly, you know, for those who are seeking to advance the cause of Welsh independence, this I think is very much. A long haul rather than something that is likely to bear fruit anytime within the next two or three years.
0: And what about the political picture more widely in Wales? Because at the last election, we saw the Tories gaining, um, I think, six seats, the, Conserv- uh, the, the, the Labour Party losing as many. And I saw your uh, poll, the Welsh political barometer, your first one of 2020, uh, which puts the Tories up by four points, Labour down by four. So it's continuing this rather historic shift. Uh, do you think this is something that's set to continue as we see the Conservatives in office with this huge majority? Or do you think think there is room here for Labour to make some sort of fight back and regain lost ground?
1: Well, you know, we've seen the polls moving about so much in the last year or so that I think it'd be a very brave person to predict where things are <laughs> going to be a few months from now. I'm just Eight months ago or so, the Conservatives got just 6.5% of the vote in Wales in the European election. They came fifth, almost beaten into sixth place by the Greens. Now, a few months later, they had major success in December's general election. Um, now, the, the poll actually has them pushing even further uh, up from what they did the general election um, in, into a clear lead in, in Wales, which is sort of Labour's ultimate bastion. I mean, The Labour Party have come first in the last 27 general elections in a row in Wales. But now, at the moment at the least, it looks as if that status is very much under threat. but you know, I think we should be cautious uh, for at least kind of one obvious reason, which is you know, what will happen in the next few months with politics, maybe particularly with brexit. I think you know if if the Brexit negotiations about you know the future trade deal start to go horribly wrong, and a few months' time, if the Labour Party have a new leader who's doing quite well. All of a sudden, the political situation could start to look very different. But at the moment, clearly, the Conservatives across Britain, including in Wales, which has long been difficult territory for them, are very much um, on on the crest of a wave. And if we had a Welsh Assembly election tomorrow rather than in May next year, the Conservatives would certainly be on course for significant gains.
2: Hmm, interesting. Speaking to Professor Roger Owen Scully. Uh, now, you are Professor of Politics and International Relations, which is why I want to come on to another of the big issues today. Uh, so the decision by the government to allow Huawei uh, to um, be involved in the building out of the 5G uh, high speed networks in the UK. I've heard lots of explanations for this. Look, it shows uh, the waning power of Washington, the rising power of China, of Brexit, Britain sort of torn between the two. What do you make of this and whether it's actually going to sour uh, relations in terms of intelligence sharing and so on, uh, the trade deal with the US?
1: Yeah. Well, look. obviously, I have no idea of the precise reasoning behind uh, the decision that's been made within government. But I think we can certainly talk in a more informed way about what the consequences might be. And I think particularly in this current context where the UK is going to be looking over the next months to be trying to rapidly advance things like a major trade deal with the United States, it is in that context, I think, very difficult for the UK that they're taking a strongly different position on the involvement of Huawei in the development of 5G from the United States. Uh, And uh, that is likely to make... (laughs) these trade negotiations significantly more difficult at a time when, you know, particularly if things don't go very well between Britain and the, U- and, and the EU in, in those trade talks, then the UK might really be wanting to make a major breakthrough in trade deal negotiations with the United States. You know, this, I think, is likely to make that more difficult.
0: And what about those talks with the EU? We had the publication of the fisheries bill today, this long awaited plan uh, for Britain to decide who can fish in British waters. Uh, Caroline was saying earlier, this is a very small thing economically for Britain, but politically, it's quite important. It's something that Boris Johnson has been very vocal about. But if I think back to how Theresa May started the Brexit talks, it was very sort of offensive, There were a lot of red lines, and it really set the tone quite badly. Is there a risk that this does the same thing at the start of this new round of talks?
1: Well, possibly. I think some in government may be thinking that not only does this play well domestically, but it maybe also sets out um, one sort of bargaining tool that the UK can have. It can only uh, maybe allow access to its waters for those countries like Spain that have large fishing fleets if in return they give Britain something back in the negotiations. So it may be an attempt to try and generate some additional bargaining leverage. But the basic reality which has been through right the way through the Brexit negotiations, is that this is not a negotiation between equals. The EU has a population and economy which is significantly larger than that of Britain. And frankly, if things all go horribly wrong in these negotiations, we end up leaving finally the EC- European Union's economic space at the end of this year without a deal. That will hurt everybody, but overall it will hurt the UK almost certainly far more than it will hurt the European Union. And that is the fundamental reality which has underpinned these negotiations right from the beginning.
0: Uh, So so what is your forecast for how this is going to play out? The government talking about making a deal by the end of the year. Do you think that's likely?
1: I think that's going to be very challenging. Trade negotiations, major trade deals are normally multi-year events. We are seeking to fast-track this over a period of months. Now, of course, you know, we're starting from a different position. We're already very closely economically integrated with the EU for, for having been members for not far short of 50 years. Um, I mean, exactly how the details of the trade negotiations are going to go, I think, is is, is very much a, a matter for the technical experts on particular areas. But I think the politics is a bit clearer. And what seems to be happening very much with the politics is that Boris Johnson and his government are going to maximize all the publicity they can get out from UK leaving the EU at the end of this week, Mm. and after that they seem very much to be seeking to downplay the issue, to sort of bury the issue in all this technical complexity, to make it sort of a bit like what's like a lot of EU politics has been over the last 50 years, very technical, bound up in all sorts of committee discussions, basically very, very boring. And I think, you know, although this may may not come naturally to him, but I think Boris Johnson and his government are going to be as boring as they possibly can.
0: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio
4: in London. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like
2: really close to the edge of like Everything falling apart, like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip
1: in my brain.
4: Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire.
1: It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon, Inc.
4: From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon, Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.